So I have a, a DJI Phantom, and it has a, it has a zone restriction that uh, you know, so that way they don't get in trouble as a company with like the FAA. And uh, there is an airport near the studio, and so I send the drone up, and it takes it takes a few beats before it gets GPS lock. And so I send it about 35, 40, 50 feet up in the air. And by the time it gets to about 60 feet in the air, it has very clear GPS signal. And it realizes that it's in a region lock zone and enforces the drone down on me. And there's really no way to get through it until I just let it get GPS lock. And so the other day, it almost came down in traffic. And I'm sitting there trying to abort the, abort the landing, abort the landing. There's a car coming. And, and it, I was able to hold it up for a few seconds, got the car to pass like three feet from the car's roof. <laughs> And then as the car passed, it landed. Then I just have to uh, I have to just agree to be safe and then I can send the drone back up again. But of course, you then have to have your device that's connected to the controller. It has to be on some sort of data connection so it can ping the servers that you've been authorized, that you've agreed to the terms of use. And I had my I had my phone in airplane mode because like always, whenever I'm doing something, I'm getting a ton of messages coming into my phone and I didn't want them coming in over the over the UI of the drone, so I turned my phone into airplane mode. So I can't, I can't, al- I can't authorize it because part of the authorization process is receiving a text message. So there I am in the middle of the road, trying to get my phone out of airplane mode, trying to get a text message, authorizing this drone so I can send it back up in the air out of the road. It's, it's, oh God, isn't that annoying? Is there a way on iOS to get rid of the drop down notifications so they don't overlay on top? Well, of you know, well, doing? what I realized I did, what I should be doing later, and I was just being dumb, is put it in do not disturb mode. No, but even if you have the do not disturb thing on like the switch or whatever, it doesn't actually do anything for the on screen notification. Oh, oh, really? Well, now I'm screwed. Now I'm... I always have mine in do not disturb mode. Always. <laughs> good man. <laughs> good man. I have a solution, though. I'm you know what I should do? This is the really the the, the long term solution here is uh, get a drone that doesn't have this control software on it. Because, you know, come on. I mean, this is the problem is that there's somebody else that's controlling what my drone can do. If Richard Stallman yeah. was here, he'd, he'd be shaking his head at me. He'd be very disappointed. It's no good. No good. So look at this project. It's a drone built with a Raspberry Pi that's capable of streaming live to YouTube. Now, this is more my speed. It's a quadcopter. It's a quadcopter, and uh, it goes right uh, – the Raspberry Pi goes right on the top of it. And it works. It's legit. The camera could use a gimbal, that's for sure. I mean, it's a work in progress. <laughs> and, they're, and then they're live streaming. I, there's no real, like, official control software. But they've put a LG LTE card in it, a SIM card. It's got Wi-Fi antenna. It's got the camera for, the right now, the Raspberry Pi kit camera. It's kind of ingenious. So maybe future vlogs will be powered by a Raspberry Pi drone. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 181 for January 24th, 2017. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show with a host that's flying solo this week. Well, that's never really true. My name is Chris, and I can't really be true when I got a virtual lug, a packed virtual lug this week. Coming up, we're going to talk about some big news that's breaking right now as we go on the air that could affect the Unix landscape overall. We'll talk about Scale15x and Ubicon. There's some really big project updates we're going to get to this week, including those sly foxes over at Solus. Adopting Flatpak. What? What? Yeah, I. that's what I said when I, I... I literally did a what when I saw the headline come across my screen. Then, a certain insider in the Ubuntu Mate project is going to leak some of the upcoming details 
and fanciness that'll be rolling out. And then, Kali Linux? Yeah, Kali Linux. They're taking it up a notch. You know they've been around for 10 years now? 10 years. Kind of makes me feel old, to be honest with you. I think I've been using it for 10 years. (laughs) Anyways, they have some big news on their 10th anniversary that I'll tell you guys about. And then, we'll touch a little bit on a future install, a future rig build. Get some input from our mumble room, read some feedback, and all of that goodness. There's a lot to cover in today's show. Mr. Wes couldn't make it this week. He sends his apologies. He wanted to be here, but there was just, I'll just put it as this, there was work circumstances that came up. You guys know how this how this industry goes. Sometimes things just come up and you can't get away for the afternoon to podcast. So we, uh, we miss you, Wes, and you're here in spirit. I'll channel you from time to time, Wes, but... Never fear. We have a great team in our virtual lug. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Greetings, Hello. 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 <laughs> it's not even on the air right now, and you're plugging. <laughs> that doesn't matter. You know, there's, there's back episodes <laughs> there's people great, can listen to. <laughs> a great back catalog, yeah. <laughs> and then right, okay, you know what's going to happen. I'll, I'll, I'll be fair. Late night Linux. There you go. There you go. You know what's going to happen is they're going to listen to that back catalog and they're all going to say, I miss Laura. So I don't really know. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> That's uh, a, a common message that we hear. Yeah. Speaking of late night Linux, Mr. Ike is here. Hello, Ike. It's good to have you here. Hey. And uh, also returning to the show in, um, I don't know how, I think it's almost been a year, Mr. Michael Hall. Hello, Mr. Hall. Hello, good to be back. Well, I am looking forward to talking to all of you. Of course, we all have a whole cast of regulars in there, too. And uh, so even though Wes isn't here, we have a great crew and everybody will be jumping in as we go along. But I, I, I don't like doing the bad news stuff if we can avoid it. So let's do like a quick breaking news kind of thing. This is CNN Breaking News. Yeah, this is Linux Unplugged Breaking News. And it's, it's unfortunate when this kind of story comes out. But we kind of had a little bit of a sniff of this story earlier, Oracle is laying off more than a thousand employees. According to Mercury News, Oracle is laying off approximately 450 employees in its Santa Clara hardware systems division. Now that matters because that's the division that was responsible for Spark hardware, which it appears to be where the majority of these layoffs are coming from. It looks like cloud is what Oracle cares about now because software licensing, Solaris and whatnot, The revenue from that plummeted by 20% last quarter, and at the same time, Oracle's hardware revenue also fell 13%. So there's just starting to essentially probably realign the business with where they're actually making revenue from. But it's kind of sad because I think it's it's probably at least going to signal a massive slowing down for Solaris. At least that's that's my read of this story, and that's kind of why I thought it was worth covering today is because that overall affects the Unix ecosystem. I mean, entire in the the, the entirety. It's, it looks like it's going to be about eighteen hundred employees, company wide, that will be pink slipped. There was already a story about this on the software side, right? Like they were already <clears> talking about how they're canning the new major version. It of was rumor at that point. So that's kind of. I think more recently, though, not only was there the rumor that was like two or three months ago, but there was a newer yeah, story to back that up. Oh too. yeah, I was talking about the rumor we covered previously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think there were two stories on the yeah, same thing. Yeah, and this is later. Yeah, this has sort of been. It's been. There's been smoke signals really since. Also, pretty strong smoke signals since December. It's not surprising because, like, as someone who worked with Solaris boxes at one point and 
saw the transition to Red Hat and x86, I'm not surprised they're going to have to close up. Yeah. Especially since everyone wants more open infrastructure and they're offering the most closed proprietary infrastructure possible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just becoming more of a commodity now where you need open infrastructure. So this is just not appealing. Yeah. Yeah. When, um, when I worked at Sun Microsystems, we used to say Solaris for a pro, Linux for show. Yeah, I've heard that saying before. And that's changing more yeah. and more now. Well, yeah, I mean... Linux Especially with the lack of dedicated resources, now. right? Like, I'm sure there are more dedicated resources in the Linux community now than there are in the Solaris community. Oh, for sure. Call it a community. It's not really a community. And businesses and software services around Linux and, you know, all the all of that. When you go to a trade show, you see all of these middleware businesses that are selling Linux-based solutions, and they're not... None of them are selling anything that runs on Solaris. That's that. Me, what I'm what I'm getting at there is the workloads were becoming more and more specific for Solaris stations too. Yeah. Uh, let's okay. So let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about something that I'm looking forward to. March second through the fifth, coming up at Pasadena Convention Center is Scale 15X, the fifteenth annual Southern California Linux Expo. We went last year. I, th- I think uh, we've gone a few years past. And uh, I'll probably be going this year, too. I'm going to decide after today's show. That's that's my plan. And the, uh, just like I believe last year, too, there will be an Ubicon Summit uh, to take place March 2nd through the 3rd. So sort of uh, tucked up right next to scale. And uh, it looks like it's going to take place um, also in Pasadena. So you just go to this location and you can attend both events, essentially. Am I getting it right, Mr. Hull? Yes, actually, uh, we're going to be using two of the scale conference rooms for those two days. Brilliant. Uh, I think this is such the, a good way to do it. Oh, yeah. Um, we've got several Ubucons that happen all over the world. Uh, some of them are standalone. Some of them co-host with another big conference like scale. Um, and it really helps the logistics to be able to do that. So what do I kind of expect if I'm going to go to Ubicon? Is it something that a, a, an Ubuntu desktop user would be interested in? Is it something for developers, uh, administrators? Who Who's the target and what should I expect? It's a little bit of both. Last year we had two tracks, one uh, for users and the other one targeting developers. And we're going to do something similar again this year with a little bit more uh, workshop kind of sessions on the second day than we had last year. And then in the morning of both days, we've got keynotes and presentations going on that are generally relevant to anybody. Hmm. Well, see, this feels like if I'm going to go to scale, I should plan to be down there a few days earlier. So that way I could be there for... At least, at least, you know, get down there by the third, but maybe even the second. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, so, what do you, what is your overall goal? Is it to is it to inform community? Is it to get more uh, Ubuntu users? What is the sort of strategy, and why is Canonical willing to spend the resources on it? Well, Ubucons are held by the community, so the Ubucon Summit is being oh, organized right. by the California community. Yeah. Um, we are helping them with logistics, and we help you know as much as we can financially, also. You know, Michael, um, I think it kind of feels like a, a little bit. Yeah, oh, for sure. I think it kind of feels like an official canonical event because last year, you know, a pretty big canonical crew was there, including Mark Shuttleworth. So it feels like it's a like an, a big Ubuntu official event and a big official canonical event in some sense. But I forget that it's really community driven itself. Yeah, last year was kind of uh, an oddball out because usually there's not that many people from canonical being flown into Ubicons. What is uh, what is the rumor on uh, on Shuttleworth making it to uh, Ubicon this year? 
Um, I don't think he's going to because it, uh, it actually overlaps a little bit with Mobile World Conver- Conference happening in oh, Spain. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, and we always have a big presence there, yeah. and he's at that. So yeah. uh, I'm not sure if he's going to get over. I think he might try and get to scale, but I don't think he's going to make it for uh, Ubucon. You know um, you know who I'd be going to see would be Martin, Mr. Wimpy down there. But Wimpy, you're not going to make it this year either, are you? I don't think so, no. It's okay. It's okay, Wimpy. It's all right. I was just going to buy you. I'm still, I'm still um, eyeing uh, Linux Fest Northwest, though. I think I owe you like a dozen beers, so I'll make sure I get, okay, I'll get them taken care of at Linux Fest. That's even well, better. Well, feeling's mutual, so that's going to be a fun <laughs> night. <laughs> we, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, you know what? I tend I, this. I think this year I'm going to park at Linux Fest in the parking lot, so if we get if we get too irresponsible, we won't have to go very far, because <laughs> we'll just walk back to the... <laughs> well, uh, Michael, I'm going to try I think I'm going to try to make it down there. I'm not sure what my whole approach is going to be this year, but I think I'll try to make it down to Ubicon. So how do I sign up? Do I need to pre-register? Can you give me those details? Um, so we're still working that out. I think we're going to use Eventbrite for uh, the Ubicon registration itself. Uh, we just put out a call for papers uh, for the presentations that happened those two mornings, and those are actually going through the scale CFP system. Uh, even though Scale's not taking talk proposals anymore, they still have it open so that people can submit them for oh. Ubicon. You just use the Ubicon tag, and they'll send all of those lists over to um, Nathan Haynes and Richard Gaskin, who are the California team organizing all of this. The one thing I think I had some confusion on last year from the audience was I think some people thought you sign up for only one or do you have to sign up for one and then sign up for the other? Sign up – you don't get both, right? You have to go – you register for scale and then you register for Ubicon. Is that what the how the format is going to work? Yeah. So Ubicons traditionally have been free to, to come and participate in. You haven't had to register. You don't have to pay anything to get in. Um, and what we've worked out with the scale guys is that people can come into Ubicon without paying to get into scale. But we really encourage people to register to, to – be at scale and to go to all the scale talks in the conference or the expo floor and everything because you know it's a huge conference it's, it's totally worth going to if you're going to be there already for ubucon anyway just pay a little bit extra get into scale also yeah i second that for sure absolutely even if you just walk the floor for a few minutes or you know say hi to a few people well that that sounds pretty good oh, yeah any- and compared compared to other huge shows you know it's not expensive to get into scale at all what does you it know, cost is it Free or is it? It's not much. Uh, no, I want to say it was like forty five dollars or something. Last oh, is year. it? See, I always go in as media, so I've never actually, I've never had to pay for it because they let media in for free. But I, I think it's so reasonable that whatever it is that it's, it's. It I know basically it's, depends. If you just want to go for the expo floor, it's kind of cheap. It's like twenty bucks. But okay. if you want, I think the con or the um the, the talks and things, it's almost a hundred. It's like eighty bucks. Yeah, and the, the reason why that kind of makes sense to me is because the talks are going to be more focused for people who are there, probably because it's their profession, and and yes. they would maybe even get work paying for that. Kind of, but that's sense. really really cheap compared to other conferences. Yes, though. it's still under a hundred yeah. bucks. Yeah, 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 very much yeah. so. So and, so pay to go to scale, come to Ubicon for free. Um, if you're there the first day, and I know, Chris, you weren't sure about this, but if you can get there the first day, uh, we've got Carl Rochelle from System76 giving our keynote. Oh, cool. Uh, and I have been teased by Ryan that he has some new announcements to make during that keynote. Well, that is really neat. Carl is a super bright guy and really fascinating speaker, so that will be a really good keynote. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to try to make it. I think I'm going to try to make it. Maybe I'll see if I can't ping the scale folks and maybe they can get us a coupon because there are coupons out there floating around for scale. 
and that would yeah they just ended their special pricing i think that was a couple days ago Mm. that they had that going for and they still have student discounts 50 percent off oh nice well mr mr hall is there anything else you want to add about ubicon before we uh chug along no, just want to reiterate, you know, if you want to give a presentation there, we've got slots open. Go to the scale, call for papers, and submit that with the Ubicon tag. We're also going to have a snappy workshop happening there that second day. So if you want to learn how to make snaps and go through the walkthrough of that, yes. uh, I'll be there hosting it also. Nice, nice, nice. Let's make sure Ike attends. Ha <laughs> ha, I kid. I poke, I poke. Uh- <laughs> I'll, I'll get to him. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. Uh, well, I think it's going to be a pretty good show. Yeah, and if you can make it to both, come say hi, because I'm going to try to make it down there. I'll, I might try to make it down there for the whole thing with Carl uh, doing the keynote. So uh, maybe I'll end up doing some live shows from down there, too, and doing a meetup. We'll see. We'll see. I'll get my plans figured out. I kind of feel like this might be the year I fly down instead of drive down, so I can get down there, cover it, and get back up here quick, because I might have something coming up in the near future, which would be a much longer drive. And uh, probably save the wear and tear on the vehicle for that. Hey, uh, before we uh, get into like uh, some seriously big feedback and uh, some good updates and other things and also big news for uh, Cyanogen users, I wanted to give mention to a project that recently launched a refreshed website. And it was it was really producer Michael who threw it in my face because I don't I don't generally follow the cinnamon desktop um, mod scene, I guess you could call it. But Cinnamon Spices, which is cinnamon-spices.linuxmint.com, has been refreshed and relaunched, making it easy to modify your Cinnamon desktop environment, you know, with things like themes, applets, desktop, uh, desklets, um, and, of course, extensions. I don't really know if uh, this is something that appeals to most of you out there, but I think it's worth giving the, the, the guys and gals working on this project a shout for the for really nice work they've done to showcase some of the stuff. I mean, it's dang. I mean, it really makes these themes. It really makes this stuff look good. So, thank you to producer Michael for throwing that in my face. So, uh, if you are a Cinnamon desktop user, you might want to go check that out. I'll have a link to the Cinnamon Spices site in the show notes. Lineage OS, which was the uh, continuation, I suppose, of the Cyanogen open source project. I guess the Cyanogen forked Lineage OS. We could say for now have started surfacing. Um, we actually have real legit builds now that will work on Nexus devices like the 6P and 5X. Now, if you're already running CyanogenMod, there's an important note, so pay attention to this. You need to first install the experimental ROM, which has a big old ugly watermark on it, before you can start installing regular Lineage OS builds. Otherwise, Lineage OS is not going to work at all. You're also going to have to be prepared to get a new version of the G apps because that will also require an update. But you can get experimental Lineage OS nightly builds now on a bunch of devices, but the ones that jumped out at me were the uh, 6P and uh, 5X. Is anybody in the anybody in the mumble room a uh, a Cyanogen user or even an alternative ROM user on Android? Anybody using different ROMs? Yeah, I have it as base for Selfish OS. No. Okay, so okay, so let's. I think both Minnie and William was that who I heard just. Uh, let's no, go. Someone no. else. Oh, okay. Me. Oh, okay. Let's start. Okay, let's start with uh, producer uh, Michael, and then we'll go Minnie. So go ahead. I used to use uh, CyanogenMod before Cyanogen Company was created, but that was like uh, my la- my latest phones. I haven't bothered. Yeah, that's 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 basically been my setup. Now, Minnie, you said you were using Cyanogen currently. Yeah, we have it as base for Selfish OS for the ports for the Nexus 5. Oh, nice. So we have a port for uh, Cyanogen 11 and 12. And there is one user who's working on CM13 even now. And will that eventually become Lineage? 
I don't know. We yeah. will see. <laughs> so now we are, now we are looking for CM13. We got the base and we have some little struggles to go. But if that is working, why not go further? Yeah, I guess so. I think it's I think it's good that the, the project's continuing. Um, I don't I don't I don't feel good about the future of the ROM market. I feel like it's going to get more constricted than ever. I'm not saying it's dying. I don't want to be dramatic about it, but I, it doesn't seem like it's. It's particularly good. Wimpy, are you still rocking Ubuntu Touch as your daily driver? No. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Now, hold on, hold on. Now, this. We got to stop the show. We got to talk about this. What happened? Tell me what happened. I got a Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> the holidays. What did you get? What did you, what did you get? Uh, OnePlus 3T. Oh, and, and it's now running Android. It's probably running Cyanogen of a type, isn't it? Well, it runs Oxygen OS, which oh, right, is yes. their right. their version of it. Mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I've set things up a little bit differently this time, so I'm using uh, the F Droid Store and almost none of the Google services. Very nice. And how do you like it? Is it good compared? To, what do you think compared to Ubuntu Touch? Are you are you kind of glad to be back? Do you miss some features? Give me a sense of that. I miss the navigation of Ubuntu Touch. I think the way that the user interface is moved around in Ubuntu is light years ahead of anything else. Um, it's similar, but different to Sailfish. So if you like Sailfish, there's some similarities, but I feel the Ubuntu interactions are more intuitive than Sailfish. Okay. Sailfish hmm. is kind of, you have to know yeah. that this thing does this thing where with Ubuntu, it's, it's much more natural. Um, it's curious. So I was obviously using things that were like wraps of web applications sure. on Ubuntu Touch. And now I've come back to Android. I'm actually using a lot of those rather than native apps. Hmm. Because in many cases now, the web application version of things is far better than the um, the, the native app uh, version. So, for example, Facebook is one example of that. Yeah. And the old reader is another. Um, two things that I, well, one, Facebook is for staying in touch with my family and the old reader is where I get all my news from. I think Facebook the is the perfect reader. example. I feel like Facebook mm. is safer as a web app than it is to have the Facebook app installed on Android because yeah. you never really know what it's doing. And also with the web app, you get access to messaging and all of the other stuff that are oh. all separate apps on Android, you know, as native, oh. native apps. So, you know, that's good in my opinion. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a slight thing where if you have, if you use a, a browser to do that that it tries to like it detect that you're using a browser and it says oh you need to install the app but if you use a web app wrapper it'll break that and make it think that it's then not yeah. it's, it's like a desktop thing but it'll still show it as a mobile <laughs> what a pain in the butt uh mr hall i noticed that you said you kind of agreed that it looks like it might be a dim future for alternative roms did you want to expand on that at all Oh, I think you might have gone away from sorry oh, me. yeah yeah i noticed you said you kind of agreed that it looks like it might be a dim future for alternative roms on android do you want to expand on that a bit uh i don't think i agreed to that i, I oh, was oh, typing oh. in another window and accidentally oh. hit the press talk button <laughs> so you think okay i will i will second martin though um i've i've been on a galaxy s7 for five months or so now um and i totally miss the navigation of Ubuntu phone yeah that was the nokia stuff right isn't that what that was powered by on the Ubuntu phone the 
can't remember if Mike was referring part? to the touch gestures, not the oh, not the oh, map the navigation. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, yeah. The touch gestures are like multitasking. When really? You're That's interesting. So really? Honestly, guys, really honestly, because I got to tell you, one of my biggest concerns about Ubuntu Touch was that the gestures were sort of opaque. You didn't really... You didn't have any idea they were there, so it seemed like it would be hard to internalize them. But that's not the case. No, it only took like an hour to really get used to them. And within a week, you're so addicted to it that whenever you go back to something else, you instinctively try and do those gestures. That's good to hear. But I I guess I'm still – I'm not convinced about Discovery because you guys are kind of bad examples because – not only are you canonical employees, but you're around other people using Ubuntu Touch, and you were there during the UI creation. So if you came into it cold, do you still have a sense that it would be discoverable and usable? It just seems so hard to find them. I think so. I mean, the the tuition, the tutorial that runs on, you know, first startup that, that explains what the four directions of movement are. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like 60 seconds to right. complete, and it basically introduces you to it's a pull down, it's a pull up, yep. and pulling in from the left and the right. Mm-hmm. And that's the extent of it. Completing the same tutorial on Sailfish, and for anyone that's got Sailfish, they can maybe back me up to prove I'm not making it up. Their tutorial takes about five minutes to complete. Yeah. And you can't skip through it. You have to, you yep. know do all of the steps yeah there's some android devices um, like that too yeah and wow. i i always feel lost in sailfish when i want to swipe around it feels like you're moving through one of these text dungeons you know go south go south by southeast go go west go north i do and you're not-, not agree with you <laughs> i mean enough. i hmm. used an n9 nokia n9 before and the gestures were pretty much the same and in, on Selfish, you get used, as with Ubuntu Touch, you get used pretty quick. You use 10 minutes and you get used oh, to it. All right. Yeah, I've not, I've just not, I always feel lost when I use, so, so I've got two Selfish phones. I've got the original Yola phone and I've got the Intec uh, Aquafish. Yeah, okay. So you essentially just three gestures in Ubuntu phone. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as you master three gestures, then, you know, you've got it. That does seem actually that does seem pretty reasonable, especially combined with the tutorial. All right. So let's let's cap off this conversation with the obligatory WebOS mention. Go ahead, Michael. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. so I like WebOS. Yeah, I was a huge fan back in the day. Uh, their gesture structure was this very similar to the how Ubuntu Touch works, mm. except instead of the from a side entrance, it was the bottom entrance. So it, like you had the same kind oh, of really? like, pull, pull the launcher from the side. You had to pull the launcher from the bottom. You had the same like swipe away things, except in a different direction. It's they're they're actually very similar. So someone who was a WebOS person would pretty much just jump right into Ubuntu Touch. Well, that's encouraging. All right. Okay. Now I want to run it on in my six P. That's that's official. That's official. Hey, let's uh, let's stop talking about mobile. But before we go too much further, let's talk about Ting. This seems like a great time to mention it. Well, here's how you get started with Ting. You go to Linux.Ting.com. Linux.Ting.com will get you twenty five dollars off a device or twenty five dollars in service credit. And think about this: twenty five dollars in service credit might pay for more than your first month because average Ting bill twenty three dollars after all you're said and done. Here's how it works. No contract, nor the termination fee, and you only pay for what you use. Minutes, messages, megabytes, you pay for what you use. Linux.ting.com. 
I love this system. I was just talking about in the pre-show how I have a couple of different MiFi's, one on Ting's GSM network, one on Ting's CDMA network. And I use apps like OpenSignal to determine which one's going to be stronger in whichever area I'm taking the RV. And that's the MiFi I choose to use. It's $6 a month for the line. And if I don't use any data on that MiFi for a month, I'm paying $6. I could also just go in the control panel and turn it off. It's amazing. It's great for when you're traveling. It's great if you're an IT worker and you need to have connectivity at a moment's notice and you want to have two networks to choose from. I love this functionality. Of course, you can get a phone that's on either network too. It doesn't really – I mean I'm talking about MiFi's, but you could use it as a phone. I've got three phones on the Ting network and I think it's a fantastic service. Usually, and if I'm not using like my MiFi's a bunch, which I, I use actually just lightly this weekend and it's – it's so fantastic because I think maybe even with the holidays, the phone bill is going to be like around 45 bucks this month. Three lines. When I'm at work and I'm at home, I'm using Wi-Fi all the time. And so I might be making a few extra calls for the holidays. You know, on average, my phone bill is around $35 a month for all three lines. So it really averages out to be it's just an unbelievable price. You can get a little idea by going over to Ting's website and see kind of what it would cost for you. It's a really nice service because I also back it with fantastic customer service, an awesome control panel, an active blog full of good information, tons of devices, including ones you can just bring yourself, like one from the Play Store. Just hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Check them out. Linux.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Been a happy customer for a long time now. Linux.ting.com. This is an interesting post. And I I just will touch on it really quickly. I don't think we have to have a lot of conversation about it. Excuse me. Chrome 56 is going to aggressively throttle background tabs. Hallelujah. Uh, This is just kind of all you really need to really know. But they're they're coming up with like a timer and a budget system. And each tab is going to get a timer and then it's going to get a budget. And the budget regenerates with a certain amount of activity. And all this, they got a very, very Google sophisticated system and they're talking about how it will affect applications like Slack and Discord or BitMix or a Bitcoin trading site. And uh, there could be some major effects. So you might want to go check it out if you are uh, heavily dependent on one of those applications or a developer on one of those projects because it's going to be big eventually. Chrome 56 is going to be a big deal. But it probably will help a lot of us with uh, like uh, two-core laptops on battery and you're running Chrome. This is probably going to make life a lot better for you. Yeah, all that budget gets submitted to Google. That is an interesting thought, Altera. Wouldn't it be an? Wouldn't that be a fascinating? Because they, you know, they do ask if you want to opt into like uh, diagnostics and uh, air reporting. I wonder if uh, that time budget and things like that would be diagnostic data. Ooh, that sends chills down my spine. I mean, for the first release, I'm sure it probably will be right because it's not going to be a perfect system right away. The amount of data that gives Googs about the what I mean, it makes Google Analytics look like child's play. <laughs> that is a that is a striking thought. Not just what sites you go to, but how you engage with them, how actively you engage with them, how long they sit idle on your website. They can tell I mean, you we if, can go ahead. we can dis, we can see if it's total if it's going to be in Chromium and Chrome or just in Chrome whether they're going to be collecting data or not. Yeah. Hmm. That's a – well, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Maybe none of that's going to happen too. So I want to talk about some feedback that I've gotten on Sunday's Linux Action Show. And I shouldn't really cross the streams like this, but I kind of want to take advantage of the mumble room. So this seems like the perfect opportunity. I've been considering building something that I'm going to just 
called because we all understand what I say when I mean this when I, or what I mean when I say this. I'm just going to say it's like a bulletproof Linux installation. Something that uh, isn't like a fun Linux installation, isn't, uh, isn't like something I'm going to run on all my systems, but one of my workstations, maybe two, would be set up in a way that is – it's meant to be like a five-year installation with absolute minimum failure. Maybe with a – I would love to say even a tolerance of one failure, failure a year. So that probably includes maybe a hard, a hard drive mirror. Maybe it also includes a UPS power. So there's some physical aspects of this too. But at right now what I wanted to focus on because it's more germane to our show would be the uh, Linux configuration that would actually make this possible. And I've been – I've been toying with the uh, idea of installing Solus as the base operating system <clears throat> and uh, relying on the fine folks over at Solus to package up some of the core desktop applications that I want, like – No pressure, Ike. Yeah. No, not at all. Like Telegram, like Google Chrome, uh, you know, those types of the, – the, the, the general desktop environment – Hoping and maybe it, maybe I should wait till after Budgie Eleven, but hoping that there would be sort of a a consistency and stability there, and then a lot of the more esoteric applications, many of which being web based, like Sab NZB, Couch Potato, Sonar, those would run in containers like Docker containers, and other other applications that maybe I would just sort of concoct one day, and maybe I would also sort of also supplement this with an Arch virtual machine. That has access to the AUR or something for command line or maybe even graphical applications. So I've been this has been something that I've been kicking around, but I think mangas is how I'm gonna say it. Three days ago, or no, one day ago, in the Linux Action Show subreddit subreddit wrote, I have the feeling that containerization is not the solution for you, Chris Lass. I think that you have to accept the three M's that Noah pointed out in Lass. You go Ubuntu LTS, uh, and you really should use something like snap packages. Also set up a clone and whatnot, but he he argues that because predominantly what I'm going to want on this machine is a is a wide selection of desktop applications, I should probably go with an LTS slash snap slash flatpak approach for to container containerize and contain the specific applications and use Ubuntu LTS for the base operating system. And just go something with much more generic. And maybe he says, yeah, I could go fancy with CFS or something like that. But uh, – and this has been sort of a common thread that's come in is don't go as far as containerization. Just go Ubuntu LTS or uh, you know, maybe it's Ubuntu Matei LTS or whatever it is. But you go with a, a tried and true Ubuntu install and you don't – you skip the Docker containerization and you go with snaps and flat packs. And um, <clears throat> when I – every time I look at this idea, which doesn't seem to be too – too insane. I kind of, I kind of look at it and go, why, why does this not appeal to me? Because it feels like the path of least resistance. I could get a 1604-based install in 15 minutes. I could go get a few snap packages 10 minutes after that. And I may theoretically be pretty close to done at that point. I'm sure there's a few things I still have to work out. Um, so it, does have, it definitely has the appeal of being the path of less resistance. But what what I what I feel like it I feel like it's not really ready yet. Like it seems like it's the easy path, but in reality, I love snap packages. I love everything getting snapped up. But some of the things I want don't get updated as frequently as I want because they're not being the package itself is not being maintained upstream. It's being maintained by a volunteer. Uh, some applications I want may may not be available. Things like Steam compatibility are still a big 
a big priority for me and making Steam work really easily and not break is a big priority for me. And I don't really see like a flat pack snap solution to that specifically either. It feels like to me if I'm building a five-year system today, in terms of application availability, Docker probably blows away just about every Linux distro's repo out there in terms of current modern applications being developed that I would want to try to talk about in reviews and whatnot. Docker is a massive distribution platform already, I would argue, larger than Snap packages. And so if you were building a system for today, it actually seems like Docker would be the one to use today. And then in five years, put your head up and go, OK, all right. All right. So let's take a look around where how, what's gotten snapped up, what's gotten flat packed. And when it's time to rebuild, that would be the time to evaluate that. So I, I, I've been getting a lot of that feedback and I've been reflecting on I think I actually think – the snaps and flat packs would be more down the road. Should I pause here? Does anybody want to jump in the mumble room before I continue on? Going on. My question was, is there a possibility to use LXC, LXD containers for uh, GUI applications? I mean, I'm not really, you know, I, I'm not really sold on any particular containerization or necessarily even containerization over virtualization or even a fancy cheroot, really, to be honest. I don't really have any strong leaning um, my one preference towards Docker would be it's pretty simple to set up on Solus and it's got a huge application availability on Docker Hub. And there is actually some subset of those applications up on Docker Hub that are being properly maintained by projects that really care. And you can you can suss that out eventually and there there's still enough of those that it's a pretty wide set of applications to pick from. So kind of leaning Docker that reason. Okay. I wanted to – so let's talk about let's, – let's take all of this conversation and let's shift over to Solus. They announced this week that they're adopting flat packs. They've also – there have also been an update recently about some big changes coming in Q1 to the, to the desktop, including, including something called – what was it here? Do I have it here? Bulletproofing? We're going to talk about all of this. We're really going to talk. Let's talk about all this. So let's take a moment. If we're talking about containers, we're talking about virtualization, and you want to know more, go to Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplug. Sign up. Take advantage of a seven-day free trial. Support the show and learn more about all of these technologies. They have really dedicated professionals that follow this stuff, like legit people in the industry that have come to Linux Academy now are working with them, consulting with them. They have full-time instructors. I think this is where you get the knowledge directly from the people that know what's up. And I love it because the people behind the company started it because they're Linux enthusiasts. And somebody who runs their company because they were a Linux – started my company because I'm a Linux enthusiast. Yeah, I, I really dig that. And it really kind of is the perfect essence behind what they're all going for. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplug. That's where you go. Find out about their self-paced, in-depth video courses and just about every Linux topic out there. They got labs that give you hands-on, real-world experience. You build the confidence you need when you go do the job, which I've learned makes all the difference. Instructor mentoring when you do need it. A community that's stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. Courses specifically for cert training, if that's where you're going. And course schedulers for those of us that are cray-cray busy. And you need to have something custom built out for you to match that schedule. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. They also have public profiles if you need to let management know what you've been doing. That's been really nice for me in the past when I had I, – what I used to do is I had these little systems, these little papers that I would track my stuff in in a spreadsheet and I would hand it in because I would go to uh, community colleges to get my course updating, to get my training updating that work thankfully paid for. But you know, with a public profile like this, such a genius system. Makes it work. So it's just all automated. 
Plus, if you're you know talking to a client or looking for a gig, very useful there too. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Woo! Go there to support the show. Sign up for a seven-day free trial. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. program, program, program. So I don't really know where to start, Ike, because I am so excited about all of this. But mm-hmm. I feel like let's start with flat packs, And then I'd like to talk about some of the other stuff you guys are doing sort of in Q1. So what the hell? Flat packs? What? This is this is huge because I thought we had this big discussion on this show about how you weren't really a big fan of snaps or flat packs. You wanted to you wanted to be in control of the software that gets bundled for your distro. What's what's changed? In that respect, actually nothing. So remember the most of the people are having this discussion based on universal apps. The problem that we have in Solus, as you've probably seen yourself, is we have a very, very weird mechanism for deploying third-party software like Google Chrome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't work very well. I mean, it's flaky. I'm what not is the big add- challenge? Are You mentioned a couple times in your post the Google, the Google Chrome problem, solving the Chrome problem. The only thing I really – from my experience was I went to a third-party section and it seemed like it took a significantly long time to install Chrome. I, could, mm. I had the sense something was going on behind the scenes – but I, I don't really understand. What is the Chrome problem? Okay, so, I mean, you're not allowed to distribute Chrome full stop. Only Google can do that, which, you know, I mean, that's fair enough. So the way that we get around that is behind the scenes, it's actually downloading the deb and repackaging it as an EO package, then installing that locally. But, I mean, to do things like that, I mean, there's things like exit compression involved and all this stuff, which is why it takes a horrifically long amount. of. It's not viable. There is no update mechanism for it. So we had to reevaluate it because at the end of the day, anyone's personal views aside, it's leading to a poor user experience. Mm. So one of the developments I saw recently in Flatpak, I say recently, recently-ish, is it can uh, it supports downloading extra files at installation time. Now, the first place I saw this was over on uh, Endless. Had to dig around there and I could install Chrome straight from the software center. But being such a problem for me, I was like, well, how the hell are they doing this? How are they pulling this off? So the more I dug into it, it turns out that they're making use of the same thing that I'm going to be making use of. And it's it's essentially still pulling the dip, but it's doing it in a way that's efficient, quick, supports updates, and is transparently integrated. And in the end, I mean, I put the poll up on Google+, Plus, but that itself wasn't a deciding factor. But it was definitely one of the things that enabled it as an option for me. So the other thing that probably comes to most people's mind is why say snaps? Why not say snaps or app image or one of the other competitors? Uh, well, I mean, app image again, it's the same distribution problem, so it's immediately out. I mean, an app image contains a file system, which okay. means it would contain Google Chrome, so ah, it's gotcha. instantly out of the races. Mm-hmm. And then again, it's you know, it's snap no, but versus snaps snap include right now. no snaps do have the ability to pull files down and and sort of essentially work around that problem. Right. And don't get me wrong, there's, there's a lot of hype and love around Snap. But it me, if I'm going to integrate something into Solus, it's got to be done properly. It's got to be done fully. So we don't have app armor in Solus. Now, you can, uh, yes, yeah. you can run Snaps without app armor. Uh-huh. But again, then to you do don't it get properly and exactly. So to do it fully and properly, you've got to enable app armor. Now, that's an obstacle in terms of integration. So there was a lazy aspect to it because it would be, a, there's a large integration challenge for something like Snap. But the main thing that actually won me over in the end, I mean, everything else aside, integration problems, distribution, all that side of it, 
was being engaged on a technical level consistently by the Flatpak camp. And every time I brought this up online, every time I've ranted about it, discussed it, bitched about it, whatever, that fact has always remained true. They've always engaged with me. Now, fair play to Snaps as well, because Michael Hall actually contacted me offline after on. And, you know, I've got a lot of respect for that. But I was being engaged on a technical level consistently by the Flatpak team. And they've always answered my responses. And it's more aligned with what works in Solus. And for me, it's kind of what won in the end. It, I ha- it had to be on technical merit only. It couldn't be on the hype. It couldn't be around marketability. Um, the universal apps part of it at this point in time is currently not interesting to me. I'm talking about distributing some third-party applications. Now, does this also solve any problems around packaging Steam for Solus? So what we're doing with Steam at the moment, I mean, at the moment, we have this Steam runtime compatibility, if you like, within our repos. It works really well now, uh, but give it a couple of years, something like that would eventually fall apart at the seams because, you know, they're going to be using older have a, an ABI problem so large you wouldn't be able to solve it anymore so while it works for now it's not a long term solution we actually spoke about this on Late Night Linux last night I know plug anyway so 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 but yeah I mean it's kind of soulless only which is kind of not fair <laughs> um, so what I've done is I proposed it upstream I, I opened up a GitHub issue and it'll basically like here's the cards on the table I would like to take everything we've learned about building a Steam runtime, because we're actually pretty good at that, and offer one in the form of a Flatpak runtime, which is optimized, hmm. which has all the things that we want. Then anyone yeah. with Flatpak would be able to use it on any distro, Ooh. not just Solus. So it makes it a lot easier then for distributions to have Steam, because they're kind of, hmm, an um and an ah in about the whole Lib32 crap. Yeah. It would be a lot easier for them. They'd only need to have like a 32-bit driver. So this would be, though, uh, kind of all back-end plumbing, right? If I'm a, if I'm a user of Solus, I, I would just basically hit an install button in the... Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. You, you don't want to complicate it. It's got to be natively. Would integrated. it mean, though, as a Solus user, I could run other flat packs that I found? Yes. Oh, so okay. the one thing I didn't want to do is say, like, this is only for third party and that's all you're going to use it for. Yeah. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it properly. Yeah, and okay. that again, that was the thing when we was looking at Snap. It would have been hard to integrate that properly into Solus. For a flat pack, it's very, very simple for us to integrate. Uh, Producer Michael, you had a question about con- or, uh, sandboxing? Uh, yeah, sandboxing, containerization, whatever. Uh, flat packs originally were doing it via Wayland. So how did they approach the issue This like if if, if they have it right now? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't quite get that. I don't know if there – I actually just saw a blog post about this. I think this is sort of in the works still, isn't it? I didn't, I didn't read the post yeah, yet. I had tagged it for reading, but I haven't. If one of the issues of, is is App, Ar- App Armor is not available mm-hmm. uh, to be to install in Solus, uh, but the Flatpak is covering this issue for security, but last time I checked, they, they don't have a sandbox solution for that. Right. Yeah. Oh, they do have a sandboxing mechanism in place. It's called Bubble Wrap. And it effectively creates a kernel level. It's it's effectively a container, you know, to avoid. They don't call it a container because it has all the connotations of Docker and things like that. But effectively, it's like a it's a kernel level namespacing container. So So you do have the containerization, yeah. And then you have um, there's a 
There's basically a, a DBus proxy that sits in the middle that filters mm. all out the calls. You've got <laughs> a SecComp, which is involved as well, so it can actually filter system calls going through. So in terms of integrating into Solus, I had to update libseccomp, and I made one patch, which has now been merged upstream already, and that was to actually support a stateless configuration in Solus. So it was very, very easy to integrate. For Google Chrome itself, we wouldn't be sandboxing it. Here's the difference. So we'd still be using the native file system stuff there. It's just effectively a way to distribute and update it. So the sandboxing for that part isn't important, but for future and applications that are being distributed as these things start to get more popular, obviously we do want that fully integrated. That makes sense. So uh, oof, I, how will I see this and when will I see this as a Solus user? Am I, am I going to be waiting for a while? Oh, no, 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 no. We can't do that you. No, that wouldn't be fair at all. So at the moment, we are doing a very, very large stack upgrade. We're going from GNOME 3.20 to GNOME 3.22. You will see me ranting and raving about it on Google Plus at the moment. I'm not in a good mood with some parts of it, but anyway. So while we're doing that, we also try and bring up some of the reverse dependencies. So Flatpak has already gone in there at the moment. Okay. That's part of the next update series that will go into the main repos. Um, but it's going to be a colossal update. Like when I got as far as packaging, I think it was Nautilus, which was the first GNOME app that I'd updated. There was already 200 updates to Solus by that time. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, I, I'll be nice. I'm going to issue some Delta updates as well. Uh, but yeah, so the next set of updates that will all come through. Flatpak is already in the repos and enabled. Now we just need to plummet into the software center to make mm. it all work nicely. So that's uh, that's kind of huge. That's kind of a huge thing. And you talked about something else in in a recent post talking about uh, Budgie 11. And you talked about bulletproofing. I think it was the verbiage was like bulletproofing the upgrade process. Yeah, bulletproof boot. Uh, oh, bulletproof name. boot is what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the name I gave it. So the kernel update mechanism in Solus isn't great. Um, effectively, you're having the carpet ripped out from under your feet every time you re- uh, every time you upgrade. Now, there is a variety of ways to do it in some different uh, distributions, and that usually involves having a meta package, which will then depend on a new package that comes in, and then you end up with multiple parallel kernels installed. Mm-hmm. The way that I'm doing it, I'm actually adopting something that I developed at work, which is Clear Boot Manager from Clear Linux, uh, which is an Intel project. What I'm doing is make adapting that to actually support Solus fully and, more importantly, be generic enough that it would work for other distributions. Mm. So the way that this effectively works is you take the control of the kernel away from the package manager. Now, that's probably going to sound a little bit weird. Mm -hmm. So if you upgrade a package on your disk, it takes away any files that are left there. The difference is with this approach, you have this package. Once you upgrade, it leaves the old files on the disk. They are no longer within its domain. Then Clear Boot Manager is fired up. The first thing it does is make sure that the new uh, your running kernel has to stay there. That's like rule one. It has to stay there. You're not allowed to remove the running kernel. This is a very bad thing to do. It will then install the latest kernel and the last running kernel. It, so when it goes to install them, it also makes sure they're repaired so they're fully present on the disk. If anything's happened to them, it will actually repair them and fully restore the EFI system. Partition. How does it accomplish this? Through the code that I wrote, basically. Um, I mean, is so it like pulling simple... code down and patch? Like, what, what's happening? No, no, no. So, like, if you upgrade it now, like, in Solus, you'll be automatically shipped to this new package. It's called Linux LTS, and that will be on the 4.9 branch. 
So when you update, the old files stay there and so do the new files. They're specifically namespaced, versioned, with release. Everything is encoded in the name of these files. So when you upgrade, it automatically knows which one is the next new kernel because we'll have a symlink, which is default LTS, shipped as part of the packaging. So it knows who the new guy is. When it looks at the uname output, that is also encoded to carry the version, release, and type information of Hmm. the kernel. Hmm. So it knows which one needs to stay, which one needs to be repaired, and which ones need to be garbage collected. And so this so is it how it's able to. This is how the package manager is able to just not even worry about it, and it's able to exactly. Keep, ah, that's really cool. So the package clever. manager comes along. So say we went from four point nine point four, it then deposits all the four point nine point five files on there. The difference is now that default LTS link is changed from the old four point nine point four to the four point nine point five one. And it doesn't have to be a version update. It can just literally be like bumping a release to fix something. Your current kernel will stay on there. The one you booted before will stay on there because we run a systemd unit at boot. And once it's got past the multi-user target, it records that information to a file. So it knows that that kernel successfully boots. (laughs) Anything that doesn't meet those parameters is then garbage collected from the disk, including the initial RAM disks, which are now shipped as part of the package instead of being generated at install time, which is risky. So everything is now pre-shipped, ready to go. So you're never going to have a situation where you upgrade and kernel modules go missing and things disappear and you can't roll back. So does this clear boot manager uh, land in Solus as as well, I mean, at the same time that uh, Linux 4.9 does? Um, so I'm actually on the 4.9 now, but yeah, they mm. will come together. So basically you'll have one last derpy upgrade, mm. which is going from the 4.8 stuff because that part of it is unavoidable because it was broken to start with. Once that's happened, you'll be upgraded to the 4.9, and from then on, you can just keep upgrading. And if there is ever a problem, you can just roll back to the old kernel. Now, the difference between this approach and, you know, the typical pseudo-update grub kind of crap, you have to record bits of those information around for it to keep working properly. So if you've ever had encrypted installs, you've got to keep hold of, like, the resume parameters, the locks UUID parameters, the root equals, all of that stuff, and it's even harder for UEFI. Clearboot Manager is is picking up all this information automatically and recording it. So it's entirely stateless. It can re- completely restore Ooh. a boot partition for you. Ooh. So I put a video up on my Google Plus if you want to go and have a look at it. Okay. I basically RMRF'd everything on my ESP, <laughs> <laughs> which is something you probably shouldn't do. Yeah. Uh, but then just to kind of demonstrate the confidence in that, I ran the command and bam, my, uh, my ESP was restored, including the uh, bootloader itself. Because it manages the updates to that as well. I will have a link to uh, Ike's G Plus page in the show notes as well as to the uh, Clear Boot Manager. That's uh, that's a pretty nice upgrade. That'll be that that does sound like if it's everything works as intended, that it should make that update process much more bulletproof. That's kind of what I'm yeah. going for. That's what I'm going for, Ike. Yeah, I mean it's been used in Clear Linux now for a long time. Obviously, mm. here I'm not speaking on behalf of Intel while I'm here now. I'm speaking on behalf of Solus, but it's a project I work on at work. And we've been using it there for a long time, and it does work. It's, you know, it's field-proven, if you like. And the the original thing that basically bugged me was dual booting on an EFI system partition. Nobody really does that nicely. I mean, if you mm. look at some systems, you'll get like a, a slash initrd zero dot image and things like this. Who does it belong to? You know, where's the domain ownership? And then you have these subfolders. It's, it's kind of nasty. So I wanted to basically implement standards and have a way that things can cohabit peacefully on an ESP without conflicting. So the Solus kernel now is like a com.solus project, and then it'll have like the version of everything coded into the file names. 
so you, you don't have to worry about things conflicting or fighting over the ESP. So I'm also making it very agnostic. So if anyone else does want to integrate it into their projects, they're more than welcome to. And so does this make it possible to, say, run multiple branches of the kernel? So say if I wanted to have... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the motivations because in Solus, there is a kernel package. <laughs> it's just called kernel. <laughs> like You're kind of limited on your choices there, which is kind of sucky because we have to run the kernel that's going to be safe for everyone. But sometimes there's hardware enablement differences mm-hmm. or we need experience with that new branch of the kernel before it becomes a new kernel. So this one is becoming the Linux LTS kernel. So you'll upgrade and that's what you're going to. Okay. It, that'll be handled automatically. That's then the default for, one, the LTS. Yeah, just to make sure everyone's safe, you're, you're going to go to the LTS branch, and then sure. that's where you're going to be by default. Are you tracking uh, Greg KH? Is that where the LTS moniker comes from? or? Yeah, basically. So that would be the 4.9 branch for now. And once 4.10 is stable, then we can start like a Linux mainline package to kind of, you know, have a bit of symmetry between us and kernel.org just so you know where you stand. I like that a lot. I think that's a good idea. Well, and, okay. Well, that's a hell of that's a hell of a lot of awesome stuff that's making me really want to continue to use Solus. So that's good. That's <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot of things that are coming. Um, we've just started up BudgieDesktop.org as well. Uh, you oh, know, we, yeah, of, I did want to talk about a little bit about Budgie, real, if we could. Yeah, I mean, you know yourself. I mean, Budgie Eleven's kind of achieved meme status by now. Yeah, you know, like after Budgie Eleven, this thing would be fixed. And now, but so, it's actually nine now. Now I'm nervous because I'm like, I, I feel like things are just getting stable for me, and then my desktop's going to get <laughs> sw- just pulled right out from underneath me. And no, 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 Budgie is going nowhere. I mean, you you have my full assurances on that. So we, I'm just uh, worried about big changes. It sounds like Eleven's a pretty big rewrite. Well, the thing is, well, I'm going to be explaining more of this in the blog post later. There's, I don't want to spill the beans. Just okay, yet. all right, all right, I'll keep my eye uh, out. But it will be a significant blog post. But effectively, it's we're taking measures that will unlimit our creative freedom, which will make Budgie a lot better because we've got some long-standing bugs that we just haven't been able to fix. So those will be coming. And Q1, oh boy. Oh boy. It's big stuff, but it's, yeah, sounds like it, it. all of this is basically focused on one singular topic. It's about giving users the experience they deserve. Right now with Budgie, we are not there. You know, we are not there. There are some annoyances, some bugs that are there, and the user shouldn't have to put up with this shit. So that's what all of this quarter is about. It's getting everything in place so the users can actually have that experience that they deserve from their computer, that they bought that computer, you know. They shouldn't have to suffer these stupid bugs, so... Mm. We will have that up there, and it's going fully, fully distro-agnostic. Like, it's it's up on its own namespace on GitHub, has its own domain, it has its own blog. So it's going to be very – some people, you know, are going to be how people are when they see something about new stuff, and mm-hmm. this is how we do things. Mm-hmm. But it's – believe me, it's for the best. Uh, we'll say – I say from the blog post. keep an open mind, and we'll, uh, we'll wait for updates. Maybe you come back yeah. and tell us a little bit about it, because I'm curious of as heck. All right. Well, I want to also... Well, I've never installed GNU oh, Hey, I'm doing a show. Excuse me. I wanted to also mention some big updates that are coming to our friends over at Ubuntu Mate, as well as Kali, which I am super, super excited about. So we should keep moving so we can make room for TechSnap. And you know, I would be amiss if I didn't mention DigitalOcean. That's the secret sauce. Guys, that's the secret sauce. It's a super simple, straightforward cloud hosting provider that'll get you up and going in no time. If you're a one-man team up to a multi-million dollar company, DigitalOcean is going to work great for you because it's it's super intuitive. It's super reliable, super fast. I'm trying to think of another super. Um, super SSDs? 
Uh, I'm losing it. I, got, I don't got any more supers, but it is a great service, and it deserves all of the supers I can come up with. They've paired an amazing user interface that really is it accomplishes it simple to use while also being very advanced and letting people that know what the heck they're doing just to go at it, like um, automatically attaching your SSH keys, spinning up multiple VMs from templates, snapshots and backups, but the best part is all of it's exposed by a very simple, straightforward, gotta-love-it API. And, you know, in my day-to-day usage, I talk about the UI so much because I was born in the fire of a time when virtual machine management only ran under Windows and it was the worst, slowest MMC UI knockoff you'd ever seen. So now, in 2017, to sit here and look at this DigitalOcean interface, it just blows me away. So that's what I always focus on. But the reality is their API is really where it's at. On a, as a daily driver of DigitalOcean for spinning things up and down for our infrastructure all day long, up and down, up and down, all day long. I'm using the API. I'm using bot commands that trigger the API, to be honest. I'm, that's how I'm doing it. And it makes it so easy to integrate DigitalOcean infrastructure that's in San Francisco for me and in New York. And it's just like one single bot command. And in the background, these systems spin up online. And these sites go active. These streams turn up. It is so incredible. Making multiple systems is a snap is well you can do it from a snapshot but it is super simple and the other thing that's really nice is not only can you transfer droplets to other folks so say you're going to build something for a client or for a friend or a family member etc etc it also is really great working with teams for your personal use say you want to do a mumble server a minecraft server an irc server a sync thing BitTorrent sync all of that they have 40 gigabit e connections ssds for all of the machines and data centers all over the world check it out at digitalocean.com just do me a favor when you sign up, apply our promo code DO Unplugged, DO Unplugged to your account. You get a $10 credit. You can try out that $5 rig two months for free. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code DO Unplugged. So there has been a massive leak, Edward Snowden size leak, about the progress on Ubuntu Mate. There's an insider. I'm not familiar with this person. I think his name is Martin. I'm not sure who he is, but Wimpy is here to help us make sense of all of this. So, uh, Wimpy, there's some really nice things coming down the road. And there's also some stuff that we talked about previously on the show from Ike, uh, Brisk, in there. So where do you want to start with the update for the Mate project? Okay. Uh, well, let's start with Brisk. We've just heard from Ike. I don't know if you noticed. He's quite a clever chap, isn't he? <laughs> lots, of, lots of technical detail there. That said, he does need help from an older, wiser gentleman with bitwise operators from time to time. But... <laughs> aside from that aside from that he's uh he's a smart cookie um yeah so let's start with brisk because yeah. there's there's some news there that i've not announced uh mm-hmm. that uh dovetails with that ike released brisk menu 0.3.0 yesterday evening um and that's being developed as a um an efficient menu for the mate desktop and uh, we created a PPA for Ubuntu for that. So if you're running 16.10 or 17.04, you're able to get the oh, 0.2.0 awesome. release. And that PPA is now up to date with the 0.3.0 release. So if you're already using that PPA, you'd have got your updates today. And there's a bunch of bug fixes. Cool. Risk in there. Uh, and that's cooking along nicely. Um, I've uh, gone through Ike's issue tracker and sort of highlighted the bits that I'm interested in seeing. And Ubuntu Mate, we're in our is that our second month now, Ike, where Ubuntu the crowdfunding from Ubuntu Mate, some of that money's being funneled into Solus uh, so that Ike can work on Brisk. 
um, for the Mate desktop as a whole, hmm. um, which is really cool to see some cross distro yes. collaboration. Yes, that I really, and I also heard that uh, Mr. Uh, Producer Michael there in the uh, in the mumble room was involved in updating uh, high DPI and low DPI for what what icon themes? I think it was. Is That's that right? right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Michael in the chat room here, Producer Michael. He retouched all of the um, assets in the, not the icon theme, but the, the GTK theme itself. So things like sliders, switches, radio buttons, and all of that sort of thing, um, and all of the outlines for those in the shading, they've all been retouched so that there are two versions. There's a low DPI and a high DPI version available for those now. Yes. Um, so uh, that's all good stuff. And yeah, he was another fund, that was another funded uh, contribution in the same way that um, the work from Daniel Foray at Elementary, he um, he contacted me just before the Christmas holidays and uh, he was saying, you know, would we be interested in adopting some of his um, updated folder icons and things of that nature um, in Ubuntu Mate? Because those of you that don't know, Daniel years ago used to work, I think it was on a contract basis, but worked with or for Ubuntu on the humanity icon themes so that all of those icons that you're using in ubuntu originated from his work and he's refined and improved those over time and he was saying you know did i want to adopt the new the new version of that so he did a bunch of work and we've adopted those icons and then there are a few that looked a bit rough because they were the old style Mm. and he's now touching up a few of the others there so we've got a whole new icon theme uh, for all of the common um, actions and uh, folders and stuff like that. And that's all come from Daniel at Elementary. And again, funded through the Ubuntu Mate crowdfunding. That is slick. I really That sounds like some really nice updates. It's yeah. great that the, the crowdfunding is making that possible too. That's I love it. It's that. really – so it's made quite a difference. You might remember me saying, I think it was a few months ago, we got sponsorship from ByteMart yeah. to cover all of our hosting and bandwidth now. And that took – a few months to fully kick in all of the advantage of that because although we moved to them as soon as they uh, made that available to us, we'd got some longer-term hosting agreements with some other providers that we've had to mm. sort of be paying for. Well, that all ended at the end of December. So this January is the first month where we're completely free of any legacy hosting payments. And already for January, the amount of funding that Ubuntu Mate is paying out to other projects and independent open source developers is sitting around $2,500 of money going to other developers to work on either Mate or Ubuntu Mate related projects. So if we're able to keep that up over the next 12 months, that will mean that we get good quality, consistent contributions coming into the projects that we care about. But some of those cross-distro collaborations, that's money going back into those projects that they can use to fund their own work. Um, and for the um, the part-time collaborators, you know, some of them are students and some of this money is meaning that they don't have to flip burgers at the weekend. They can actually work yeah. on open source and get get a decent amount of money in return. So that's awesome. I'm really hoping that that will, um, that will continue to escalate over the, the next year. So you know what I really want to talk about though is uh, I'm guessing <laughs> <laughs> the, the Mate Desktop 2.0. I mean, you got you put 2.0 on there, and I I want to know I want I want to know more details. 
Yeah. So uh, internally within the um, the Mate team, there's there's sort of four of us that uh, make up the core team. And there's two of us that want to go with Mate 2.0. Mm-hmm. And the other two are like, no, let's call it 1.18. So um, I'm kind of uh, forcing the agenda here. By- <laughs> <laughs> oh, clever, clever. By putting it out there that uh, it could be a Mate 2.0. <laughs> um, and it might it might still be. We'll, uh, we'll have to have some polite conversations and agree agree that this is what we're going to do. But the reason for, for this distinction, um, in my mind, is that with the next stable release which at this point could be 2.0 or it could be 1.18 uh it's the first version which is you can only build against gtk3 uh-huh. all of the legacy gtk2 code has been removed from the entire project um so that's all gone now um and there's been some other incremental improvements there but really the, i i feel that 2.0 is worthy because gtk2 is gone yeah and it would be nice to know that the one series was the one that you could build against gtk2 and the two series is the one that went went to gtk3 that yeah um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's and awesome then, uh, and then uh you know we've had on our roadmap you know this gentle progression to gtk3 um has always been uh more so from some of the other distributions they, they've got an eye on um adopting wayland so mm. another step towards Wayland mm. is this current. So we have the, the development snapshots. They're currently 1.17. Um, those development snapshots now have support for libinput, which is a modern library for handling input devices, including, you know, mice and trackpads and trackballs and touchscreens and what have you, which supports both Wayland and X11. So that's in there now. Um, so we're looking for some testing and feedback on that. Um, but that gives, um, if you've ever used libinput on say, uh, Gnome three, which has had it for a little while now, um, you'll notice that the, the sensation of, especially on trackpads, you feel like your finger is really moving the mouse mm-hmm. rather than there's sort of your, your dragging your, your, your finger movement is disconnected from, you know, what you see on the screen with libinput, those things very sort of glued together and you can feel that um that that relationship is very strong so that's good and it opens up some compatibility so improves things like um disabling um taps when you're typing and stuff like that is much better palm detection oh yeah so that's great stuff and And then um yeah that also puts you closer to wayland right it does and then um with um fedora 25 going to wayland by default the Fedora maintainer for um, uh, Mate, he's now had a series of bug reports where some people are installing pieces of Mate on top of um, Fedora 25 mm. running GNOME 3, and then those applications don't work under Wayland. So this is things like uh, Kaja, the file manager, I have Mate, the image viewer, the terminal, you know, various other bits and pieces, the text editor and what have you. Mm. So we've now got this to the point where the applications will run as applications on top of Wayland now. That doesn't mean you can bring up the whole of the Mate desktop in a Wayland session. That's a little way off. But the individual applications, when they're running on Wayland, will now run. And one of them, and that's Pluma, the text editor, can run natively on top Mm. of Wayland. So baby steps 
but we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, sounds and like it. The way, yeah, the way this support's integrated, I'm hopeful that this will also mean that Mia will will work as well. But uh, I shall be testing that later in the year. Hmm. So Ryan Sipes in the uh, chat room there is asking if you've heard any little bird or birdies tweeting about perhaps lib input ending up in Unity and Ubuntu. Because that seems like that'd be a nice feature upgrade for Ubuntu desktop too. Have you heard any discussions? Hmm. I may have done, but I'm foggy on this. So what I'll have to do, Ryan, I will check some things and get back to you on that. I think, I think it's in Unity eight already. I'm pretty mm. sure about that. It's not in Unity seven, and I. I wonder if one went digging around on Launchpad, if you might just get the answer. Yeah, well, I, I will need to go off and have a little look in the in the code repositories, but I'm not that I'm aware of. But that doesn't stand for anything because some of the people that are working on this are sort of disconnected from from what I'm doing at the moment. So for end users, um, what am I gonna? What kind of new stuff is landing for that we've just discussed is landing um, in the uh, in the next release? Uh, everything we've just discussed is in the next release. Wow. It's already it's already in the development snapshots. You are crazy, sir. Remember how remember how one of these releases you're just going to kind of back off and just have like a really boring release. Remember how that's going to happen. Th- this is this is this is that one. Yeah. <laughs> so what <laughs> everything I've just discussed is what's happening in Mate itself, <laughs> rather than Ubuntu Mate. Oh wow. So, so Ubuntu Mate is is going to move to the next version of the Mate desktop That's in great. this release. We've already um, uploaded Mate 1.17 development snapshots to the Zesty archive. So if you install a Zesty daily image for Ubuntu Mate now, you get all of this stuff I've just been talking about. Um, if you um, download the um, alpha, which is coming out in a week or so, then hmm. you know, you'll know you get all of this stuff. Um but in terms of what Ubuntu Mate is doing, all of that high level, you know, uh, headline grabbing stuff we've just spoken about is only part of it. There was a load of rough edges in Mate 1.16 because that was the one where where we sort of really jumped to GTK 3 and, and it was available everywhere, although it's still a build time option for some of the components. And I've been going through the issue trackers on Launchpad and on GitHub for Mate and joining up all of this stuff and sponsoring the upstream Mate developers to fix all of the sort of the r- real serious paper cut issues with with that transition to GTK3. So there's a lot of refinement going on in Mate in this release and consequently that will filter into Ubuntu Mate. So the it's just going to be boring and fixes is very true for Ubuntu Mate. We've got some shiny new artwork from from Daniel. Mm. Um, I really wanted to bring the brisk menu into the Ubuntu archive now. Um, but for those of you that don't know, Debian Stretch, what will be Debian 9, they're in final freeze uh, in a few days. So consequently, they're not allowing new packages into Debian. Oh. And if they don't go to Debian, then they don't automatically sync to Ubuntu. And I prefer when I'm working on Mate sure. to do everything sure. in Debian. So these packages have been so Brisk has been uploaded to Debian. It's in the new queue and it won't get out of the new queue until Debian nine is released. So maybe I'll upload it just as an Ubuntu version at some point. But I'm I just want to see what happens. Yeah. See, does Debian nine materialize in this uh, cycle in this window? But um, I've done a bit of work with Brisk so that you can have the Brisk menu. Uh, with its search capability, 
and you can still have the um, places and system menu along it. So instead of applications, places and system, you can now have the brisk menu and you get menu, places and system. So you still have the three-tiered menu. You still have places and system as you used to. Brisk is very much like the applications menu as was, but has fast search and some additional session management capabilities in there. So I, I'm thinking Brisk might become the default, if not in this release, then the next release, uh, sitting alongside the traditional three-tier menu. I think uh, I did. I did. I hear you mention. I think. I think in the post you said Alpha Two is scheduled for release in like three days. So if yeah, people want to start it's playing, very, it's very soon. Yeah, I, I I forget exactly, but it's it's this week maybe. Maybe this week. There's a couple of releases coming up, and I can't remember which way round there. Right? We've got, <laughs> you got a lot going the, on, don't you? <laughs> we've got the sixteen oh four point two release coming up on. February the something or other and we've got the alpha 2 of uh, 1704 coming up as well so it's all all releases Oof. at the moment. Yeah, boy, that's I'm sure that's uh, not a not a not a stressful time at all. That seems uh, seems very low key. Sounds that's all very low all key. All good all good fun. <laughs> You're a good sport, Wimpy. You're a good sport. All right, so before we get out of here, I just wanted to give a mention to Cali Linux, uh, who celebrates their 10th anniversary this year, and they have announced today a new Cali Linux certified professional course, which will debut at Black Hat 2017. The KLCP is the first and only official certification program that validates one's proficiency with Cali Linux, which I think is interesting. Perhaps if you're in the penetration testing business, I used Cali when I did that. And the Cali Linux also announced that uh, there will be on June 5th a Kali Linux revealed mastering the penetration testing distribution, the first official book on the Kali Linux platform. And uh, keeping in Kali Linux spirit, they're also going to make the online version free for download. So you can get it if you want for free. That uh, actually is going to be also a big refresh in the documentation area too. So you combine that with the book, documentation, and a certification. It's kind of big movements for Kali. That's uh, that's kind of a big deal. That's kind of, I don't. I oh, and also I should say, cute five point eight was released yesterday. That's that's the news right there. Oh yeah, okay, all right. We're gonna call it there. We gotta go because we gotta make room for the uh, for the new TechSnap program. Which uh, if you ever want to tune in live, is on Tuesdays now. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was really cool to mention mention for Cali uh, Mumble Room. You guys, thank you very much for making it. It was great having you here. I think we got lots of good info on what everybody's working on. The planes are overhead now, flying the banners to celebrate our excellent job. I think that means job well done when the when they launch the planes. That means that means we did a good job. So we can get out of here. We'll end on a high note. Thank you for tuning in this week. We miss you, Wes. I'm sending love to Wes right now. But he he misses you too. So don't worry. If you miss Wes, he'll be back next week. If you'd like to join us live next week, perhaps participate in our mumble room. Anyone is welcome. We just like to do a mic check. Go to jblive.tv, sign into our chat room, bang mumble, get the information. Win? Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. Oh, feedback and stories? LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. I'm on Twitter at Chris LAS, the network at Jupiter Signal. Thanks for being here. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday.
right, that brings us to the end. Uh, we have a couple of minutes to pick our title, so everybody in the chat room, go to JB Titles that is watching live. Uh, guys, thanks so much. There was tons of good info from everybody in there. Um, also, thanks to Mr. Hall who had to move on because he had other he had another call to jump on, but he uh, he had to jump too. So that was good stuff. Now, uh, Ike, I had a question. Mm-hmm. You said something in there about a new icon theme. Is this a fork of Mocha or what is, what is that? <laughs> nope, nope. Uh, you got the author right. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So what we've deliberately done, and this is going to sound like me being a complete knob, but we have deliberately done it on a private Git for now because. It's something that's going to be important to the visual identity of Solus. Now, it might sound like a minor thing, but Solus was the first one to ship with Arc theme. You know, we've worked with Horse, the uh, the offer of Arc, and getting Budgie to look good and be integrated. It's It was effectively the official Solus theme. Everywhere you look now, I see that bastard theme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's good looking. So, so what we're doing is we're doing it behind closed doors third, first. I can't speak today. Doing it behind closed doors first, just because I don't want to see it turn up in the AUR tomorrow and already being warned by half the country before we even get to release this all this out. But it will be coming in time, and it's going to be nice, and it'll help you know define the look of Solus that a little bit more. So you know, I was just pinged during the show that there is a there is an event that I've been wanting to go to for a few years. It's happening in the back in my backyard during Scale. Oh man, and I really want to go to this. Plus, there's something else that's happening with some friends on that weekend, and now I'm considering I'm considering maybe seeing if I can get. I think Noah would go regardless, but. Now I'm now I'm wondering if I really need to go. I in the show I said I was going to go to scale, and now by the end of the show I'm like, Noah's going to be there. I'm forcing him to go. Yeah, I think thing. yeah I think he'd be regardless. So we get coverage. So it, I don't know. The question is, is do I? Because it's not the the thing. It's a it's a hot air balloon event. It's this massive, huge hot air balloon event in this in in a town that looks like it's from 1805. It's a it's a it's like this western town, like wooden sidewalks, dirt roads. It's a really cool little place, and they have an RV park. That is within walking distance and you take a wooden stairway down into the town and they're going to have this massive hot air balloon event. And it would be so cool to go. I've always wanted to go. And it's only like two hours, three, two and a half hours away from where I live. We're normally quite boring. <laughs> I like hot air balloons. And I like going to that town too, though. So I don't know. So, so do I. But this, um, I live in a city that has a big one every summer and it gets a bit boring i bet towards the end i bet i would only go for like one day but um yeah i don't know i don't know what to do now it's always so hard scale comes at the worst time possible i actually don't like that they moved it up this year so it's closer to lfnw itself yeah i wish i wish it, it was should still be in january like it was because it would have been happening you know this past weekend I, I wish it was happening actually like later in the year even that would be fun, yeah. like November or something. Well, that might be a little too late. Interesting. Yeah. Somewhere August. in that range might be not bad, though. October? Like uh, August, yeah, October. October would... good. Yeah. August might be a little well, hot. August is bad because there's a lot of security conferences, honestly. Like, yeah. if I'm going it's to DEFCON, I don't want to then true. go right to scale. Yeah. Although I wonder if they if they did, if they if they nosed it up to something like that if they could get some more attendance. Although they get plenty of attendance. Scale timber. Uh, Scale timber. Wimpy, do you mind if I ask what did you consider going and did why you decided not to go? Just because I'm considering if I should go or not. Um, well, I was either going to go under my own steam or go with work, and there are people from work going. I can't afford to go to Scale and Linux Fest Northwest. Um, so, uh, and it's a bit 
a bit awkward timing for scale. So yeah, yeah. unless I was going with work, I decided uh, I'm not going to go individually. That's the thing with with Noah going. I don't. It's not like mandatory that I go. So I don't know. I got to think about it some more. I wish I hadn't said I was going in the show because literally during the last half of the show, I got those. I got the message. And there's also we have a we have a a close friend who um, has a concert once a year, and we've missed the the concert because of scale. And uh, and so like six months ago, she's like, "Well, guess what? They they we moved the we moved the the oh, date God. of the uh, of the concert. Well, guess what? they they moved it to the weekend of scale, so, March third. Yeah. yeah, great. Well, <laughs> thanks, guys. See, what, what you could do, Chris, you see, is you could do this. You could save your money, not go to scale. And you could come to UbuCon Paris in November. Whoa, 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 whoa. That would be an amazing goal. 